Well, welcome back to Fathoms and Enneagram podcast. It's just the four of us today, <laughs> and we're um, we're going to be talking about uh, what we have been experiencing with this latest uh, series and kind of giving you some ideas about what you can look forward to in our upcoming episodes. And um, thanks for being on this journey with us and just growing with us. We've we've really enjoyed this, haven't we? I've really enjoyed, yeah, I've really enjoyed all the, all the different people. Obviously I've been listening to them multiple times through as I've been editing. And every time I get through, I'm like, ah, oh, uh, it's, it's some really good stuff. I think we, yeah, really proud of it. We have just finished up a two-part series on chronic illness, and both guests, really, really special, wonderful people who have used that opportunity of coming into these diagnoses as a way to continue their transformation and growth, which has just been really inspiring for me. Um, so would you guys mind just sharing kind of what some of the insights were for you that, that lifted as we were having those conversations? I, I think for me, the, the interesting part about this one in particular is for those that don't have some sort of chronic pain or chronic illness, it doesn't feel like an identity mm. at first glance. It doesn't feel like, like race is like an obvious identity, but like chronic illness just doesn't feel like one. But then as I've listened to these stories, it like that identity is kind of forced upon you, whether you like it or not. And how you deal with that is varied, of course, um, mm. depending on who you are, what you're dealing with, all that sort of, all of those dynamics. And I think for me, it just, it deep, more deeply, it gave me more compassion for those that are dealing with chronic illness that it's I, like, I have no idea. Like, you know that, you know those moments when like you get sick and you realize how good it feels to be healthy and how terrible yeah. it is to be sick. But then as soon as you're healthy, you're just like, Oh, sick, sick isn't so bad. Uh-huh. Like you just you you forget. We take it for granted. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know that that to me just further impressed upon me the uh, just the struggle of of mm-hmm. having some sort of chronic illness. Yeah, I think um, I'm with you in those those uh, final those thoughts you just you just uh, relayed. But it's interesting, you know, I. I don't know if I've shared on here before. I, I don't have the uh, closest relationship with my mother, but she's had a, a handful of chronic illnesses over the years for as long as really I've been alive. And I don't think I really um, quite grasped um, some of what she's wrestled with mm. uh, until listening to uh, some of our some of these some of these guests speak about what it's like and how you know overarching and how completely life altering it is yeah i think it really kind of even <laughs> just offered me some compassion for my own mother in a way that i hadn't quite mm. understood before which is sad and beautiful and confusing and <laughs> strange yeah. but yeah i think uh, i'm very grateful for that um, and I would I would echo what Creek said too. Just I fo- or I personally take for granted like my health all the time. You know I, I've been I have been uh, sick for the last almost month now, off and on with uh, the flu and some other things, and that's been super annoying. But I I just yeah, it's it's really um, 
those those episodes kind of put in perspective for me something I hadn't quite really thought much about before, to be honest. So yeah, just very, very grateful for the stories that were shared and the way in which, um, you know, I also think about the, the kind of the stages of grief that happen and the way that people have shared kind of this, some of their process of grieving through um, something that's altered their life and then found acceptance and, and hopefully meaning and how that's uh, translated, how that I think offers meaning for other people as well, um, or at least gives people a guide to uh, on that journey for their own story. Yeah, just just feeling grateful and um, insight, insightful, insight, incited. <laughs> What's it mean when you receive insight? <laughs> incited, another one, another uh, one from the lexicon. Mm. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, the the previous two episodes really struck by some of the perils of personal growth and positive language. That seemed to be a theme that a theme from both episodes that we often take for granted these notions and ideas of personal growth, development, positive language, uh, without considering the impact that that can have on those with chronic illness Mm -hmm. and Um, And it was just a great reminder because, you know, the Enneagram is a tool that is often used for personal growth and development. And it doesn't mean it can't be, but I think it was was a helpful caution, I think, for me in thinking through how do we frame this work without some of the ableist tendencies Mm -hmm. that can come with how we more casually tend to talk about it. Yeah, I was really grateful also for for Brooke highlighting that that aspect is so important. And I think coming off of our our series on race, you know, it's another layer in which sometimes we don't recognize our privilege, um, health as a privilege, and the way that that yeah. privilege causes us to yeah. overlook people. Along these same lines, the uh, so while I've been over here in England in the UK. Uh, so I was playing a a football match, you know, in Belfast, and uh, on my first touch, I like tore some cartilage in my knee, and like went to the ER, the whole thing. And so I'm I'm still in recovery, been on crutches, and again, yeah, you take walking for granted, and I just any any sort of stairs going anywhere, any, any sort of step, any sort of everything. I I had to look for alternative ways. Everything takes longer. And I think this is the, in some ways, this is the, a a unique experience for me in that I can inhabit another label or identity temporarily, like, which I can't, I can't become a black man. Right. Like, but I can experience an alternative identity um, and, and what it's like to live in someone else's shoes for a moment, um, for a time. I think that's really what this season is for, is to continue to complexify those stories and to mm-hmm. live into them so that you can not reduce someone down to a label or a type or anything mm-hmm. like that. I, I, I found for myself, and also as I've observed friends who are chronically ill, that when you have to experience forced limitations Mm 
it really illuminates the basic fears of your Enneagram style. And if you're not aware that that's what's happening, then you can just really thrust yourself headlong into pursuing the desire, the basic desire of your t- your style that arises from that fear. So for me as an Enneagram 2, having a chronic illness means that my fear about not being worthy of love is exaggerated because my physical limitations keep me from being able to do all of these things that my personality has become conditioned to to doing to earn love for myself. And that actually is a gift, in my opinion. And I I really appreciated KJ highlighting her gratitude for going through her chronic illness. That really spoke deeply to me because it is, there's, there hasn't been another situation in my life where I've been this confronted with my own limitations and the choice to honor my body, befriend my body, treat myself with kindness and compassion. Yeah, I can't think of another experience in my life that has highlighted that, that for me as well as chronic illness. And so I, I learned to join KJ in that ability to become grateful for this the ways that it's propelled me towards nourishing not just my body, but my heart as well. And I think too, when we thinking of our bodies as a friend, because one of the things we talked about was how the language around chronic illness causes to see ourselves as our own enemy. And I think the Enneagram language can do that sometimes too. So there's there's a huge connection there in my mind about these ways that we have to stop seeing ourselves as our own enemies our bodies are responding the way that they are because we need something. We need a change so that our yeah. bodies can heal. And all of all of our maladaptive coping strategies that our, our personality projects and our, our ego agenda that comes forward, it's highlighting something that we need to change so that we can heal. And so when we're friends with somebody, we if we truly love them, we accept their limitations. And we love mm-hmm. them for who they are. And there's a lot of work we have to do in befriending our own bodies, accepting the limitations of our bodies and accepting the limitations of of who we are. Yeah, that's a good word. I, it reminds me, most of the clients that I've worked with regarding the Enneagram came to me for Enneagram help because they discovered their type and hated aspects mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. and wanted to fix aspects about it. And that doesn't mean, again, that there can't be growth and development and learning, but at the same time, a lot a lot of the work with those type of clients is saying, hey, this is, this is kind of a journey to be a little kinder to yourself, yeah. <laughs> be a little more understanding with yourself. And it doesn't excuse terrible behavior or it doesn't excuse, you know, hurting other people or some of these things at the same time, you know, we're all a mixed bag mm-hmm. of really great things and some challenging things. And our personality often reveals some of that. And so when we encounter the Enneagram early on in our kind of Enneagram journey, it often can feel like we are our own worst enemies, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, I think that's a good parallel to draw from these uh, past two conversations we've had. Lindsay, I think to 
highlight one of the first things you said of like often in chronic illness, it's it's when we start leaning into our type and um, to be expected, right? I mean, we often talk about the type as the strategy, right? And it's the strategy and on how we deal with difficult circumstances mm-hmm. and situations. And yeah, it's it's not wrong, but it is something to be aware of. And I think we could, yeah, just apply it across the board of any level of stress or or lack of a sense of control is when we lean into that. Yeah. But the question is, how can we lean into that better, mm-hmm. more adaptively, more healthily, more helpfully? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the way for it's not like we need to figure out how so and so who's a six and has chronic illness. How does a six get better with their enneagram through chronic? It's, it's not it's it's not that cut and dry. Right. Yeah. It's um, pretty reductionistic. Right. That exactly. approach. Right. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to say that I I had a a unique experience because I've known Brooke so long of knowing her before her she went into liver failure before these di- before her transplant and these diagnoses started coming sort of this snowball effect on her health and I didn't think I was going to cry talking about this but um I think that one thing I've observed to be really true is that um, there's a part of the human spirit that is that is true and consistent. And I've gotten to observe that in Brooke because even though she's had to deal with these obstacles and these trials, we might call them, she hasn't changed. Do you know what I, do you know what I mean? Like, I think that there's a way to just knowing this person mm. and who they are and then watching them go through these trials and see, like, I see the spirit of you both before and after these diagnoses, you know? I think it's unique to be able to see a person and who they are, get to know them before a diagnosis, and then see the ways that it's it's changed them, but they're still them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You're still able to connect deeply with something, with or with someone. There's still something there that makes up whoever they are that is deeply affected by you and you're deeply affected mm-hmm. by them. Like even what is it behind all the things that is the same today that was the same about me when I was six, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I've changed so obviously so much since I was six, but I am also the same. What is what that? Is that? <laughs> mm-hmm. To me, to me, I actually was just having this conversation with a friend here and they asked, do you think people can change? And I said, and I said something along the lines of, I, th- it depends on, on what level we're talking at. I think how, how we do life will change, how we see life will change, mm-hmm. but, but the experiences and choices, skills and wisdom that you've gathered over the years is still there. This collection of experiences is still there. Obviously, I struggled to be able to point to a a state or a thing that is me, right? But I am just a collection of experiences and stories and thoughts and opinions and perspectives. And that 
that will never change because my history doesn't change. It's informed who I am and how I operate. So it's like, yeah, I do change, but but my what I've learned and how that learning has shaped me and how I interact with the world does not change. So this is probably a good point in the conversation to uh, mention to you, our listeners, that we are working towards an episode on ego and essence. And so since we're talking about some of these matters, we would love to hear from you and help us prepare for that episode. If you have any questions about those concepts, it doesn't have to be specifically essence and chronic illness, or it can be certainly, but it, it can be anything uh, that may be interesting to you or confusing to you surrounding the conversation of ego and essence. And as those vague terms tend to intersect with Enneagram work, we would love to hear from you. So to submit your insights, thoughts, questions, hot takes, whatever you have for us, you can DM any one of us, or you can use the SpeakPipe link that we will provide in the show notes to this episode and into the link in our bio on Instagram. So if you've not used SpeakPipe before, you just essentially record a voicemail. Remember what those yeah. used to be when people use those? Use make an audio recording that we get, then get to hear. Now, uh, I will Leave say- Leave the phone number twice in case we don't get to write it down <laughs> the first time. Yeah. And uh, we would like, we love SpeakPipe because it gives us your voice that we can actually use on mm-hmm. air. So we would like to be able to do that. So if you do leave it, you can uh, expect the possibility at least that we would use it for the episode. We may not, who knows, but we might. Now, what I find is intriguing is that four seasons in, we are, we've gone full circle to go, to go where we once started. You remember right. that? We started with Ego in Essence. Four seasons in. We're and I never finished that episode. Still, uh, <laughs> full disclosure, I got like 15 minutes in and I was like, oh, dear God. Uh. <laughs> well, I guess that means we need to redo it because uh, if our own yeah. co-host couldn't <laughs> suffer through it. No, it was like, wow, I cannot hang with these guys. This is like next level stuff well i i think hopefully that means we've grown as podcasters (laughs) maybe it's still our most listened to so i don't know what that means which is amazing yeah fascinating it's so confusing people have to listen to it like 60 (laughs) times yeah that's the key that's it (laughs) bumping up those numbers just be really confusing and esoteric (laughs) (laughs) oh man so we also wanted to kind of highlight the next real quick the next topic the next identity that we're jumping into in the next couple of weeks um, and that is the topic of aging and uh, Lindsay I think you were the one that kind of brought up this topic can you give us a quick why why do, why is this an important identity for us to explore I think that as I have just thought about myself and what I've learned about myself as an Enneagram too, I've kind of looked over the course of my life and noticed how that has changed over time. The expression of that has changed as I've incorporated, you know, more, more people into my intimate circle, as I've started a family, as I've 
gone through school and started a career and and I've changed and I noticed that and then I the natural <laughs> next question is well how will I continue to change what's the future going to look like for me as the person that I am and I want very badly to do that in a way that's better and and more helpful to the people that I love than what I've seen. And that's not that's not a criticism to anyone. I just feel like there's there's a lot working against us when it comes to cultural messaging. And one of those messages we receive is that aging is bad, scary, it's something to fight against, and there are lots of of really unhealthy ways that we have engaged that. So I think it's just been my desire to contemplate that more deeply. And I think that the Enneagram really does have a lot to speak to us about how we can move into the later stages of life in a way that is peaceful for our own souls and also life-giving for the people around us. Yeah, that's good. I, I would uh, I would agree with that and that, you know, the the dynamics of personhood includes becoming older, mm-hmm. um, includes that part of us. You know, there's a, we talked about um, in one of our early episodes, the, some of the distortions of the dynamics, or at least, um, uh, yeah, some of the distortions. And, you know, one of the distortions culturally of getting older is, like, Lindsay, you were just naming, like, um, it's it's not a great thing to get old, that actually the best of your life is now behind you. And I think, I think that's a lie. Um, I think there is uh, there's a there's a lady named Connie. I think her last name is Zweg. Um, she's got a book called the From, From Role to Soul, Ooh. and um, it names yeah it names how it, it's a it's a book on how to age well basically, and how you know when when parts of you that you've identified with start to uh, not work in the same way mm-hmm. they once did, that's that's a opportunity for you to get pissed yep. and uh, frustrated and disappointed and confused or, I mean, that's part of it, but or also um, now that my circumstances are changing, do I go with them or, you know, how is this going to change me? How is this going to strengthen my, my outlook and my perspective? And especially in that book she talks about, she addresses, you know, the concept of the second half of life. And so does um, who we've interviewed, uh, which is not about actually a, uh, a number um, in your age, more a psychological um, perspective shift. As that book title names, um, when you go from role, what it means to be who you are by what you do to, you know, your soul coming forth finally when you're asking more meaningful questions about what it means to be you in the world today, yeah. now. So yeah, I I, uh, I just think um, there's also a way in which if it's true, you know, we just we had we just celebrated this 100 years, 100 years, 100 episodes. <laughs> it really feels that way. Honestly. 100 years of fathoms. Oh my god, uh, we just celebrated 100 episodes. Talk about aging well. High five, guys. <laughs> We're looking. Good. And and it's still it's just I think one of the things that was said in there is that we can't. I can't be me without you. You can't be me without whatever, you know, <laughs> the, and, and <laughs> just not re- recalling what I said very well. Um, and it's just, it's uh it's not downhill, you know, from, from, I, I just think there's such a misunderstanding and an unhealthy view of what it means to get older mm. uh, in society. Yeah. And I think, uh, 
the interview will help kind of reframe the the wisdom and the gift of of aging and and what that actually has to offer um not just people that are aging but also people our age and younger mm-hmm. yeah I, I think this this particular subject is interesting because not only is it universal but it's a shifting a universal shifting identity that is mm-hmm. inevitable for all of us and so how we deal with it like there's there's a difference obviously between aging and maturing and i want to be the old guy that is actually like an old wise aged person mm-hmm. mature and i just know how like especially when like i met michael naylor mm-hmm. for instance right who's an older for how much more just weirdly comforting that someone has made it through life as a four and can see all my BS <laughs> and all my BS and and just kind of laugh at it in the best sort of way. And I think that's that's the gift of of people and who and you who are listening to keep doing the work for the people after you is you're going to be able to give perspective to them that they desperately need. Just like you're going to be okay. That's honestly what most of us just need. Yeah. <laughs> most most of the time. Just you're going to be okay. Well, here's something that I was wondering about as I was thinking about the episodes with KJ and Brooke is the ways that the cultural messaging for women to be really uh, negative about our own bodies is so strong. Like we, we're we literally hitting it every, every single turn. And I kind of mentioned that in the episode with KJ. And I've had lots and lots of conversations with my friends who identify as females about what that's like for them. But I haven't really had a lot of conversation with men about what the cultural messaging feels like for you regarding your body image. Oy. Do you guys care to comment on that? Is that something you've <laughs> noticed or thought about? Is it specifically unique to the female population? I want to come to that question, but I'm just noticing that, you know, still going going back a little bit farther to the the concept that um, um, that Jessica Dixon brought in of socialization. You know, it seems like the thread here is um, what is socialized into us is there is a better way to be in the world and those who have chronic illness those who are aging is not they don't they don't get to have the better way of being human Mm. and that is you know that's pretty horrible and that's the you know underneath the behind the scenes thing that is being said about who we're all supposed to be and if you're not well then i just think that even entails some level of shame because you're not living up to the ideal of what it means to be human culturally and i this that's incredibly problematic obviously right because there's there's just that theme being spoken all the time Mm -hmm. in the in the background and uh Yeah, I I, uh, I think that's, that's that's especially one of the reasons that we wanted to bring this stuff to the surface to kind of call out call out the the systems that are in place that are you know that are only qualifying one way of being human and that's actually a surface level one that um, is about 
yeah, just a very limited surface level version of us. You know, one that doesn't include our humanity, one that doesn't include pain, one that doesn't include difficulty and suffering, but one that is <laughs> love and light all the time. That kind of stuff. So I just I, I I'm just noticing the thread and just wanted to name that. Um, as far as far as the kind of a male one thing I heard recently, I forget where I heard it from, but is that tell me if I'm wrong, Lindsay, but that females kind of maybe have a little bit more of a community around how maybe they don't physically measure up, um, whereas males feel more alone in at least in that. In that, we're, it's not mm-hmm. something we're really. Hey guys, what do you what do you, what do you think about how we don't have the bodies that mm-hmm. we're supposed to have? It's not something that we really, I think, talk about. I think we're more lonely mm-hmm. in that or alone yeah, in that. But I think it's still true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, and related to that, I, I think there are some cultural messages that persist, at least in the West, for males. You know, it, you, there's a lot of discussion online about masculinity and al- alpha male, you know, characteristics or qualities, and they tend to be like super strong, <laughs> stoic, you know, and you know, and have their stuff together, you know, that sort of thing, and. It, I, it, I don't perceive it to be as pervasive or as, yeah, as pervasive. I'll just leave it at that as um, some, the, the female kind of socialization aspects that you're talking of. But I do think that that's there for males. Yeah. I actually have a lot to say about this, <laughs> <laughs> but the, it, the, yeah, the episode isn't necess- necessarily about that necessarily, but uh, I would, I, I guess just kind of echo to echo Abram's point of there's not really a wrong way to be human. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be masculine, feminine? All these questions that we are we are wrestling with deeply in our society. And I guess the 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 thing for me right now is like to me it's almost a more interesting question for me right now are what are the aspects of masculine and feminine that I can cultivate within myself to be a more um, kind, strong, resilient, compassionate, wise human. And when it comes to how I view my body, right, it's, or whether it's aging or whether it's illness or, I mean, yeah, it was it was slightly humiliating to be wheeled around in a wheelchair in an airport when like I consider myself to be a very like active individual that can always overcome a a situation through some level of pushing through and gritting mm-hmm. through. So somewhat humiliating also like being self-aware enough that I'm like, I, I, I actually don't care, but the, like the smaller self of me does. And, and why does it matter? Like, no, I, I literally should not be walking mm-hmm. on this right now. Like the stronger thing, right? When you talk about expanding definitions, right? Let's expand it to me. Actually, the strongest thing I can do right now is to let it recover so that I can continue doing the things that I love, which is intense physical activity. So, so much more I want to say on this, but we do need to start wrapping up this episode. Um, and, and that's, and that's a subject maybe we can explore in another season because that, I think that one too, is just full of a lot of, a lot of nuance and a lot of confusion, not that we'd be able to clear up the confusion, but we want to be able to respect 
that topic really well because it is deeply part of being human when it comes to gender and, and identities in that space. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. We're really looking forward to you hearing these episodes with Claire. Uh, there's there's two episodes with Claire Lowridge um, on aging, and Lindsay did an interview by herself, which she did phenomenal. And make sure to stick around to the end for a really great meditation that Claire did. And then we also did a interview with her, um, with all of us, um, which is also really great. So stick around with those and uh, we will check you later. Don't forget oh. to send us questions. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Truthwork Media Studios.